This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical or legal advice. Always follow your local policies, procedures, and protocols when functioning in your respective profession. Additionally, the views expressed by the speakers and owners of this podcast are their own and do not represent the views of their respective employers. Listener discretion is advised. Alert Medic 1 response. Ken, Josh, and Mustafa here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic 1 podcast. That's totally fine. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, though? Sure. So, what? So, I've worked for a major metropolitan department since 2005. Uh, what started as a volunteer EMT in a neighboring large <laughs> fire department. Uh, got my EMT in 03, got my I in 07. I've been a paramedic since 08. Uh, currently a uh, battalion chief assigned to a large uh, battalion. Prior to that, I was the uh, quality insurance officer for about six months before that. I was at the, uh, I was the operations uh, captain for the uh, PSAP side of the uh, oh, operation. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was a liaison officer to a large uh, transit system. Oh, wow. So, huh. That's pretty I cool. Just finished 18 years last week. Wow. And, well, we won't go into the retirement. Oh, okay. I won't ask you that. Uh, so, right now, it's like combined fire EMS duties, right? Yes. Okay. So, tell me more about that. Yeah. So, every day I have to manage between 60 and 70 people. Um, uh, I end up running a, a fair amount of fire calls. Um, I run a fair amount of like traumas, stuff that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's pretty much my, my. How was the transition from being like a QA officer? Because like that was like your full time. Was that like a nine to five? Yeah. Well, in theory. Okay. In reality, it's twenty four seven. That job never turned off. Yeah. So how was that transition going from like a primary, like dude, a QA officer, to like being a shift battalion chief? Dude, that was that was a fantastic transition. I'm sure because yeah. because back when I was working in in the like QA spot, I would get emails at two a.m. Mm-hmm. four four thirty in the afternoon. Some people may have sent me multiple emails in a like couple hour time span. Yeah. Looking at Josh in here. <laughs> Um, going from having, having to be on basically 24 seven to now really only having a, to really truly work 24 hours on then actually have my, the rest of my time off was absolutely amazing. My wife loved it. Yeah, I'm sure. My phone stopped ringing all the time. There yeah. were, uh, no more, uh, no more hypothetical questions. Like they'd be like, Hey there boss. Um, so hypothetically, I was like, mm, we don't do those anymore. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. What did you do? Yeah. And we can fix this. Yeah. So who do you, I guess on your shift, uh, who do you, who are your direct reports? So my actual direct reports are the station captains and the, and the officers that are assigned to my battalion that do not have a normal home. Okay. So like float officers. Are those like any, any EMS officers or? Uh, no. So no. So for us, we only have three and a half full-time assigned duty officer specific for patient care related stuff oh interesting um out of how many out of how many officers working in yeah. a, a given day 
I guess because every probably close to forty, probably close to forty, forty-five. That makes sense. Every suppression piece, right, has yeah. an officer, and then yep. yeah. yeah, every suppression piece. You got the duty chief, you got the battalion chief, safety officer, stuff like that, right? So, and then so we have we have our three primary duty officers splitting the county into thirds, and we uh, then have what's essentially a EMS resource disposition officer that is working about 17, 18 hours per, mm. per day. So they work from 07 to 07 to 23 and every patient disposition has to go through them, be it a refusal, which hospital would they like to go to so that, so that we can better uh, manage hospital flow, hospital throughput. Second like MDO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Very similar to what another very large department near us has had for multiple years. Prior. Now, are they, when they're talking to that officer for, say, a refusal, is it more of like a permission thing? Or is it like a, hey, we'll just letting them know it's happening? So if it's for a refusal, it's not really a like permission thing. It is it is more of that second set, that third like set of like eyes, just yeah. to make sure something doesn't slip through the various cracks. Okay. Right. Now let me ask you this. This I have a bunch of questions for you now. Uh, was it hard taking the QA officer hat off when you be, got back in the field as battalion chief? Because like I feel like you kind of have to wear different hats. I don't necessarily think it was hard. Um, I think it definitely helped me dealing with some of the other personnel issues. Um, prior to working in like QA, I was definitely more of the shoot first, aim later, mm. and working in that job has definitely definitely makes you view all of the sides before you start coming to any type of like plan judgment anything like that so i think it was actually very very helpful having that job beforehand hmm. yeah i'm so what do you mean by that what do you mean by shoot you know for you like so yeah, that more. um so i'm trying to think of a way to say it without me sounding sounding like a like total asshole it's kind of hard to do. um so I'll say a lot of officers, when they're when they're newer officers, tend to just assume the worst, and mm. I, I, that may not necessarily be be a, be a fair characterization. Um, I think that uh, I think that when you are early on, um, you always tend to assume that whatever the actual complaint, the issue is, is absolutely true. Without necessarily gathering the other side of those stories first, yeah. So, like, so whatever. Citizen X calls up, and and they say, firefighter X. They said this, 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 and they, and like this means they were rude, disrespectful, condescending, whatever. How you have that conversation with that, with that firefighter EMT paramedic will be very much driven by by your own perception of how that conversation went mm. prior prior to me working in at like at the uh, sorry prior prior to me working at the like PSAP working at the QA office I would very much assume that the caller was right my guy will was actually very much wrong. I would then phrase my actual my actual like questioning to them 
as if I was already going down the actual like guilty path. Mm-hmm. Working working there up working there up in the like uh, Q, QA office, you that is something you absolutely cannot do. Right, right, right. Um, we should always have that actual open mind, remembering that there are multiple sides to every single story yeah. out there, and to not have that judgmental tone, not have that preconceived notion walking into that, the interview, the email, whatever. Yeah. So want- it's kind of like uh, going from a singular view or focus to a holistic. Yes. Like absolutely. if we want to talk about medicine, like you, you're looking at all the factors that created this issue, um, whether it's an issue or not. Like, you know, okay, um, what what is going on? One for the firefighter, EMT, paramedic, both at work, at home. Um, what are the factors of the day? What was you know the incident? That, you know, was did this happen on a call? Mm-hmm. Was the call a high stress call? You know, was there issues there? You know, um, or even like talking to maybe the firefighter's officer and being like, "Hey, you know, what exactly happened here?" You know, getting multiple approaches and yeah. you know being uh, a part of that QA process. I understand. You know, what I at what I submit to the QA process is only a piece of it all. It's not the singular portion that drives everything. It's just a little piece of the puzzle to figure out what all is going on to then, you know, either find out it was something that it's not or it's something bigger than it actually is. Why do you guys think that is for younger officers? Why do they react that way? That's a good question. Um, I'm full of them. What? I'm full of them. That's all right. Um, I think personally that's kind of how – I think personally, maybe that's kind of how we were raised from a leadership standpoint that we have to have that more, that more heavy handed, uh, authoritarian is not really the like, right word, but having more of that traditional military type leadership style, which mm-hmm. is not an accurate statement at all. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is, uh, semi-reflective of how we are generationally outside of the fire service, even uh, fire and EMS service and society itself. Uh, we, you can look at generations. Uh, so right now, uh, Moose and I, we're millennials. Tony, you're a Gen Z. I am the I am the Oregon Trail generation, as they've called us on the internet. The Oregon Trail generation. I love that name. That's the best name ever. Um, then you have boomers before that. You have uh, the so-called greatest generation. Um, and as you look at how they handle things, not even just leadership wise, but like um, foundational um, bringing up of their children or how they handle um, how they work in the work or how they are in the workforce, you saw more of maybe a heavy handed approach in older generations of these are the guidelines, X, Y, Z, black and white, um, black and white sides of the issue. Not, I'm not saying uh, skin color or anything like that. Like, you know, it's either right or it's wrong. That's it. There's no in-between. Um, and now we're looking at it more like, hey, let's try and develop this person in multiple different ways. Uh, it's not a clear-cut, hammer-down type thing. Um, in the fire service in general, I think I think it's um, there's not as much opportunity to learn leadership or to practice leadership at a, as a follower. Um, so in, in the military – you have many steps before you 
gain that level of like having ultimate um, reliability of what's going on. So for example, uh, right now in uh, the department that I work in, you can go from being a backstep firefighter that has been on the job five years that may have been at a station with four other people for those past five years and you've had a singular experience with leadership and then you take a test, you make the list, and you become a lieutenant. And so your experience with leadership is whatever you had as a child, uh, adolescent, young adult growing up, and then what you experience from that one officer and maybe a couple other that have floated through on, or you've been over time, but it's very, it's a, the, the pool to learn from is very small. Uh, in the military, you can end up being in multiple different levels of leadership before you get that ultimate responsibility of like really making like, tactical decisions and like having real responsibility of people's lives on your hands. And I think that that is a deficiency of the fire service and leadership. Uh, I think we're going away from that where people are holding leadership conferences that are really focused on trying to develop the follower and develop young lieutenants, young officers. Um, but it's just, it's a work in progress. You know, you, you don't have as much opportunity to learn and your learning environment can be very singular. Um, and then, you know, uh, that, that young lieutenant is now making all those decisions in the front right seat. Tony? Yeah, that is 100% accurate, right? Um, in, um, down where I, I uh, work, the uh, actual people on the transport units that have that have that have the absolute most public interaction, they have the most positive impact. Those are those are those are typically the 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 second most junior person working that day, followed by the most junior person working that day. That actual that actual that actual junior person technically is in charge based off of their riding like position. Mm -hmm. So here we are asking them to exercise leadership functions and we are giving them no real support, no real background, no real like training aside from multiple weeks over at the training school. And then, all right, here you go. That's pretty much it. It's like, we are setting some of these people up for failure. Um, I will say that, Fortunately for us, we are seeming to be hiring more and more people that have that military background. So there is some of that military leadership training coming out of them, which is usually very helpful. Um, but we as a department don't always do a very good job of actually, of actually fostering that kind of that, that, CRM at, that CRM atmosphere that we very much need, especially out of these younger, uh, younger leaders. I wonder if, so we've had this conversation before with a few different, you know, chiefs like uh, Lambert came on and a few others. Um, I wonder, so the military has like formalized leadership schools, yes. right? Yep. Um, and uh, I know some departments have like officer candidate schools and stuff like that. I wonder if it's because there's the constraint of you know, budgetary constraints that, 100%. you know, don't allow departments to necessarily field those OCSs. Um, so uh, without identifying the department, as you guys know, I don't talk about who I work for. It's a major de metro department in the D.C. area. 
but the chief and I, we work for the same department. Okay. Um, so we actually did recently institute a program like that. Um, but it once again was hampered by budgetary constraints. Um, it was completely voluntary. So, um, the guys that were going to the class, guys and girls, um, they were doing it on their off time. Uh, they were not getting compensated for it. So there is already a barrier to entry on that um, information that they're gathering. But that information coming, having not been there, but having heard from someone that was directly in the class, they learned things that they realized what they've been doing prior to that point was not the greatest mm-hmm. um, attitude or way to handle certain situations. And, you know, we're trying as a department, you know, I'm just a firefighter. The chief can probably speak to this a little bit more than I can, but we're trying to develop leaders and bring the things that are going to be the most pertinent to their day-to-day interactions with the public and the um, personnel that they're working with on a day-to-day basis. Um, And this is the first true iteration of this. It's been somewhat informal prior to this, like, very small, like maybe a couple days, right, Chief? Like this one was like a whole two-week Monday through Friday type deal. Uh, so I would say that – so it's really not that new. So when I was going through my lieutenant promotion process several years ago, um, that was the first time that we had had that particular class in a in like multiple years. So I would say it was probably a entire generation of our – entry-level formal leadership positions never got that training. So it's been going on since, I guess, it's probably almost 10 years now. Um, Part of the the hampering um, effect of it is the fact that it's only offered every other year because we only actually provide the uh, promotional, the actual promotional test every other year Hmm. for uh, that rank. And... And and the other issue that I find with it is the fact that it's only offered to the people that have passed the test. It's not offered proactively to the fire twos, to the fire oh. threes, to the technicians, whatever other rank is out there, right? Um, so so one of our challenges is the fact that we don't really offer a lot of truly formal leadership training. Till they are already getting ready to sit in that position to yeah. begin with, right? Um, there is some, obviously, in like in Fire Officer 1, EMS Officer 1, there is some leadership training in there, but it's nothing like – it's really nothing like what the like what the like NCO school is for the Army, Sergeant School for the like Marines, whatever the Navy has, right? It's really nothing like that. We are we are absolutely waiting up in we are absolutely waiting up in until these various personnel are actually ready to sit in that seat before there's any other of this formalized training for them. Yeah, and that's really I think doing a huge. huge Does the examination disservice. process for say a fire two or whatever have on it leadership stuff that they should know? Uh, so. Th- the chief laughs, and I laugh as well. Um, while I haven't taken the test, I know a bunch of people that have. Um, the test does involve leadership um, literature, uh, but there is debate on if it is relatable. And 
I know I'm spe- speaking specifically to our department right now, but I feel as though this could be an issue in other departments as well where uh, certain books or pieces of literature are picked that aren't as relevant to the department that you work in or the fire service in general. Um, and it's it's part of it, but then it's not heavily tested on. Um, even in our system, once you pass the written test, then if you are uh, wishing to do lieutenant, you have to score high enough on that written to even be considered to take the practical portion. And the practical portion then involves a bunch of variety of different things. But Are there good officer candidates uh, weeded out because they may or may not be good test takers? And is that, a, is that appropriate or not appropriate? I think that that's in every uh, scenario, whether it's a promotional exam or um, paramedic yes. entry tests, mm-hmm. um, you know, or even once you're in the paramedic program, you know, there's great clinicians that just cannot sit in a test and pass it. Uh, bad test takers. Mm-hmm. And, and you see some of them get bounced out. And then every now and then you see one that just truly, really persists and wins out in the end and passes everything. <coughs> and they're amazing, they're amazing clinicians. And, but I think you see that in a lot of different areas where the test can be a barrier to entry. And I, I'm not a test guru genius or whatever, but I, I don't know what the solution to that one is personally because there has to be some kind of didactic um, or cognitive cognitive testing before you go right into the practical. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, you, you, you can talk great on the radio and you can make the sound decision on the uh, – fire ground but we have no way of knowing if you understand the policies and procedures of this department chief yeah thousand percent right um going back to something josh said earlier earlier about the about some of the leadership text some of the leadership articles whatever that are actually tested not really being applicable to the department or to frs as a whole um I think some of that is simply simply based on the fact that there really is no like leadership con ed for mm, interesting for uh, the, like current officers, right? There really isn't this like leadership seminars going on. There isn't any real like journal clubs. There really isn't any other real formalized leadership training beyond fire officer two. And the reason that I think that these various articles, all these various books, theories, whatever, don't gain a lot of traction is because is because it is all of these all all these brand new officers learning all of this up to date leadership theory, practical application, whatever, and and their actual bosses don't may not know what all of this leadership theory stuff is so therefore they may not support it once it starts working its way through the operational side right does that kind of make sense yeah Yeah. so if there was maybe some leadership con ed so that now we got everybody sitting on the exact same page taking that lesson from uh whatever textbook is out there maybe that now sticks in just a little bit more yeah I mean, I would just be echoing what the chief is saying. Um, that he's 100% right. There is no formalized uh, leadership CE that, like, 
I, I know departments will, and our department does this as well. They have their own kind of internal things that they do. That's not like any national standard, um, but it's you know um, something. And even then, the CE is technically only for chief officers. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, um, but we are kind of trying to bring it around. I know recently uh, in the capital region, this wasn't just our department. There was a conference that was held um, that was on fire ground leadership. Um, and I think it's just, it's one of those things that I think it's going to gain traction because it is kind of becoming the thing to do is, you know, have, there's many more conferences starting to pop up in the fire service, in EMS, um, and topics of leadership are becoming more and more prevalent in them. So I don't know too much about like the executive fire also program at the national fire Academy chief. I don't know if you do. Not really. Okay. Um, I know applications are on hold at the moment cause I was looking at, so uh-huh. I was looking at trying to start that process. Yeah, I, I have, we've had uh chief Savak, uh, on from Ann Arundel County who, uh, went through, I haven't, I, I honestly, I haven't asked him about what, what his thoughts were. Um, I've, I've honestly heard only good things about the program. Um, I want to bring up, uh, and I try not to go to like the books that I read, but, and Josh is going to laugh at me, but like, I got to say these guys, uh, the extreme ownership folks, man, I tell you, man, they seem to work. I'm telling you, they seem to work. I, I really like that book. Uh, I think I've reread it recently for like the third time. Uh, and like I add more and more notes and stuff in the margin. Uh, it works. And I mean, they have the conferences, they have stuff. I think, it, you have it. Uh, he, yeah, Chief is showing me. Is that audible? Yeah, it's yeah. on my audible right now. Yeah, it's like the third time. I, it works. Uh, it it works. I mean, I I'll be the first one to say that the some of the hyperbole from some of the folks in that arena gets a little exhausting, maybe. Uh, but the principles really do hold true. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I've I've had personal improvement in like my job, how I function, not only. Uh, you know, from a professional, but just from a personal thing, I, I think it works. Uh, uh, I wonder if, I mean, and if you look at their client base, I think fire EMS and police are a decent amount of their customer base. Um, I don't know. I wonder if there's an opportunity there uh, because the principles are basic and they apply. I mean, it's simple things like prioritize and execute. That's basic for a leader, right? I mean, I do that every single day that I walk into work and I'm not in a leadership position. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Why don't go to your thoughts on that. Uh, I think most of their points are, are very well taken. Um, they can be applied across the entire spectrum, right? Right. Looking at both public safety world, business world, whatever. Right. Um, it's really nothing that's overly complicated. It really isn't anything that's overly new. Um, Look out for your people. Do not pass the buck. And that's pretty much what most of their their actual stuff boils on down to, at least at least to uh, me, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think those are very good um, take-home points, take points from um, all their stuff. Um, I think I've read each of them, like, three or four times now total. Yeah. I've only read extreme ownership. I haven't read like the dichotomy of leadership. Dichotomy was really good too. Yeah. I'll have to get that. That's been on my list to buy. I just haven't bought it yet. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, um, it's all it's all very good. Um, people just have to find a way to move past the military side of things and be able to adapt that actual messaging to to like whatever their actual business or organizations be it career fire, public safety, volunteers. You're working at a private animals company, wherever, right? Yeah. I think there's a, also a concern of like anytime there's an explosion, like you were talking about, of like a certain resource, right? So now there's more leadership conferences, more leadership books. I think there's always going to be like the the word influencer just comes to mind, but like the 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 not authentic, not actually uh, good information that just gets packaged in a way that makes it sound like they know what they're talking about. And I think that's pretty dangerous too. Um, I'm, I think the, so the book title that I'm thinking of is leadership BS. Uh, and I th- believe that's the book that I'm thinking of that talks about this. Um, and that book's really interesting. Uh, I'd recommend it to you guys. Uh, basically what he does is he's like, these are what leadership book X, Y, Z say to do, but let's look at actual leaders and their personality traits. And it's a lot of times the opposite, right? Uh, because, and and he's very clear in not supporting some of these uh, personality traits because they're pretty narcissistic, you know, Machiavellian. Uh, but he, all he, all, in his entire book is about calling it as it is um, and how to kind of merge the gap. Um, and, and he calls out these inauthentic leadership books. I'm pretty sure it's that book. Uh, I couldn't, I can't think of any another title that I would think that would have that message. Um, but I think that's also a concern for the young fire officer who may not be receiving formal education that's looking for good content and may not know any better. You know, um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So how, do, how do you, I, I should ask you this, how do you find the authentic leadership stuff? You got to read a lot. You have to read a lot, reach out to the leaders that, that like you have personally had that you have thought highly of. Reach out to them, right? Um, there is no single book, leader, resource, whatever that is, that is going uh, to have all, all the answers for you, right? Right? Right. Every single brand new leader, experienced leader, whatever, um, it is it is very much dependent upon us going out, doing all the research, finding, reading all of the different leadership books, finding, um, a uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Especially, especially reaching out toward the leadership styles that you may not like you may not agree agree uh with um um all of us have to have to become students of of leadership which means reading reading all of the books that you like but also all of the books that are like man this is freaking bullshit don't even worry about this nope read it you guys got to look at everything even if it doesn't fit fit with like your own perceived leadership style, your own perceived leadership point of like view, you got to look at the uh, stuff that does not support your own way of like thinking. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, echo the chief again. Um, and it, it sounds, I guess, uh, overused or 
it's it's like a, I guess the cliche of leadership. You take what you learn from the good and the bad, and you find out what you are in the middle. Uh, I know I said that with Chief uh, Lambert uh, in our podcast with him, uh, and that's that's what was brought to me when I first started learning leadership uh, at the Corps Cadets at Virginia Tech in 2006 when I was a freshman, and. That's, you know, they, they started building your toolbox of leadership, learning things both in a formalized setting. You know, we would have a um, leadership class once a week. Uh, you'd come away one, if you graduate from there, which I did not, but you come away with a leadership minor when you uh, mm, graduate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so <laughs> you just went through and then you learned things from the, your cadet leadership, from your retired officers or your commandants you learn stuff from your rotc program and you just took bits and pieces here and there what you don't like what you do like what you want to emulate the things that you emulate maybe you go and you know seek some kind of mentorship from them um and that just has grown into then serving in the active duty military being in the fire service you know um i i I think i i definitely count myself lucky for the people I've worked for, I've gained a lot from them. Uh, the people, my direct supervision, uh, has definitely passed me a lot of good and very little bad, but I've also taken bad from other situations mm-hmm. prior to these officers. Um, and even prior to the fire service, um, when you realize what you want to be, essentially, uh, you never want to, it should emulate, you should never want to emulate the bad things you saw. Um, and trying to figure out, hey, were they really bad or was it the situation? Is it something that I can, as a future officer or leader, um, work towards not encountering? So like, is there things that you can put in place early to avoid that other result that you saw? Like how do you build to a better result? So you're talking a lot about like having a significant amount of introspection, right? That's yeah. what you're alluding to. And Chief, you're talking about being a student of leadership. Both of those things require putting your ego aside. Uh, and so my question to you, and I have a comment first, uh, my question is going to be, what are strategies that you guys use to help uh, take that ego aside? And I'll be the first one to say that it is not as clean as being able to physically take this ego and put it aside. It is a constant battle for me. Uh, and I'm con- every, even when I take criticism, like I'm constantly working mindfully saying, and I don't succeed. I like to think I succeed like 60% of the time, but I'm probably lying to myself. Um, it's hard to separate that and, uh, and, you know, not have like an immediate response. Uh, so what are strategies that you guys do or utilize to, you know, set that ego aside? Dude, that's an awesome question. Um, so for me, um, I actually failed a lot as a very early leader um, outside of the fire department. Growing up, I was an Eagle Scout, worked at this very large uh, Boy Scout camp reservation, and I worked there for like four summers. Um, somewhere in my third year, I was uh, put in charge of all these various like work crews because I had been there for three years, which is a pretty long time working down there. And, dude, I was a terrible leader. I would like sit down. I I would I would not take. I would take more actual breaks because I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I was everything an actual leader absolutely should not be. I was a textbook picture perfect example of a of a really shitty leader. 
Um, and it took me years before I finally figured out, holy crap, I was terrible. So, so ever since then, and I say then, I was like six, I was like 15, 16, 17. And it took me well in, well into my like twenties before I actually like figured that out. Ever since then, I now just like look on back to my time working, working there at working there at that like scout camp. I'm like, all right, well, guess what? We all suck sometimes, and you just have to put it aside, learn from it, and and like move on. So, so if there's a leadership failure that I have had, I I myself always always draw myself back to the late nineties working at that as working, 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 working at down there at the uh, camp as my way to, to essentially like check myself, hmm. keep my ego from going, Hey man, you're freaking awesome. Like, nope, 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 dude. You have sucked. You have sucked really, really bad sometimes. Yeah. This might be some other time. So that's how I do it. Uh, so for me, um, I can think of a specific time, not even a leader, as a leader, um, that I failed in my responsibilities in my uh, on the fire ground. Um, I was supposed to be backing up the line, and I ended up somehow in my own um, mess up, not intentional, on the nozzle. And I ended up taking the nozzle from my nozzleman and went in, put out the fire, came out, and I knew. I knew instantly what I had done wrong, and I owned it. That's a big thing for me is even when I don't notice it and someone says, hey, man, what was up with this? And I go, oh, whew. Yeah, that's on me. Oh, man. And I, the the whole concept of extreme ownership prior to even learning that, it's like, okay, I got to own that because that's how you got to learn from it. You got to own it and figure out what I need to do to not make it happen again. And then also kind of actively remind myself of it in certain situations, you know, for me. That's kind of built into my whole prep of going to a fire. Is like, okay, my responsibility is this. In my mind, this is what I need to do because this is where I'm sitting today. This is how we're pulling up on the, the incident. I'm not going to steal the line from my nozzleman type thing to remind myself, like, hey, I have a responsibility. I have a job. This is what I'm supposed to be here to do. Not, you know, inflate my own ego or play for my own ego. Yeah. So, um, sorry. Nick? And, and 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 it is also absolutely critical for everyone in a formal or a in a formal leadership position to very much foster that type of like attitude for the for those that are assigned to us working underneath of us whatever right right um always my absolute favorite favorite QA cases were always the ones where they self-reported. Those were my favorite QA cases. Um, First off, because like 95% of like my actual job was already done. They Mm -hmm. recognize it. However, however, they, however, they were also always, always my actual favorite because, because those actual people trusted the process, Mm -hmm. trusted, trusted in, in uh, the actual like QA position, trusted me, hopefully, Trusted in the fact that their leadership would now recognize their efforts and would now like recognize that like uh, this person sees sees here very very obviously 
what went wrong and would now also take that into a account looking at the whole QAK's problem issue, whatever it was. You've activated my trap card. Uh, I, I love that you said that individual trusts the process. I want to say two things first. So you were, you kind of alluded to Josh, uh, kind of, uh, I, I always called it war gaming, right? But like mentally going through steps, right? Cause I, that's always been helpful for me. Uh, whether it's like, you know, working through clinical cases in my head as I'm going in route to a call or just like as a separate training thing, uh, chief, you kind of talked about, um, uh, disregard. I forgot what you were, what I was going to say about that. But regarding your process thing, what if the process is objectively broken? Then you got to fix it, and mm. that may that may be very very simple. That may be extremely complicated. Fixing fixing the actual process usually isn't all that hard. It's fixing it's fixing the perception of those of uh, those that the process serves that can be extremely difficult so uh, the chief can probably uh speak to this pretty well because uh, he was in the positive side of this um our qa process in our department was not trusted at all at one point and that was only six years ago so i've been on the job six years and i remember the perception at the time even my perception with my one limited interaction was not trust. Mm -hmm. uh, I received an email because I did not get a, um, I did not include RN on the end of the name. And I, and it had like the whole Comar and MIMS, right? All the regulations on why it should be on there. Hmm. And so already it was off putting. So I know our QA process went through a lot of revamp and um, we, made some additions to it and made it more robust, but also created a system that is supposed to be, you know, non-punitive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's supposed to encourage, um, maybe I won't say so much encourage self-reporting, but allow people to have the trust that if they do that, they are not going to be um, disciplined for it. It's not going to be a punitive thing. Like I said, it's a non-punitive process. Um, and we are still working on that image very much while it is i believe on a positive upswing and the chief can talk to this better than i can because he was in the office and he held that position i'm just a contributor um we are still working on it and it will take time but i think we are on the path and i think we have the processes in st in place to do that hmm. and i think this also then goes out into our department in general um where we do have a trust amongst at least the line officers at the battalion chief level that the officers trust their immediate supervisors that they can come to them with an issue or if an issue presents itself when the battalion chief comes to them it's not going to be the end of the world hmm. so chief you can definitely speak much better to this than i can <laughs> yeah man um yeah so back when i was a baby paramedic I had two interactions with like QA and they were not overly positive. Um, one of which I was clearly wrong. The other one I was clearly right. And, and both times I felt like I was getting just absolutely railroaded. Mm -hmm. Um, since that, and that was shoot, that was probably 13, 14 years ago. 
Yeah. Um, since then, we have had a extreme 180 flip. Um, we actually now have a we actually now have have a very positive process. Part of that comes from the fact that it isn't just QA officer, QI officer, and all these other rear, uh, all these other people that just that are just sitting in like offices twenty four seven. One of our major strengths is the fact that we have people like Josh that are an active part of the QA, QI process as these like process owners, mm-hmm. SMEs in their various fields that are also out there, that are also out there running calls every day that are the actual public face of the whole like QA process. And that has been extremely helpful for us. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, you get, uh, and you, you get t- buy-in. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Not only do you get buy-in, but the folks are seeing that it's one of us critiquing us instead of, uh, there some, someone in a crystal palace. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I think that's critical. One of my, one of my biggest reasons that I want to continue to ride as much as I can is because I don't want to lose touch. Cause that's, I think what happens, right? Someone who sits in an office over the span of five, 10, 15, 20 years completely loses touch with what's actually going on in the field. Uh, yet they're the ones responsible for making the policy that how that, uh, decides how the field actually operates. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's critical. Protocols are very black and white. The field is very very gray and that's fine that's that is absolutely perfectly normal how however whoever sits in that office has to understand we don't deal with black and white we are always dealing with these very shades shades Mm -hmm. of like gray um most of our people they don't show up to work wanting to suck at their jobs Mm -hmm. everybody has a like off day from like now and then um there are some people that just have that adversarial attitude and that's not necessarily directed toward the patient it's more so more so directed toward the the actual process those those are the people that we actually very much have to now bring into the process um to help help just to just to just to just to help like them at the like micro level Mm -hmm. um however though however though Bringing them in, changing like their a mind helps out at the actual m- macro level also for the yeah. entire process for the whole uh, the apartment. Chief, how do you deal with? Um, you kind of spoke to this a little bit, right? Regarding individuals that have some maybe adversarial um, personalities or whatever. Um, a lot of these folks are coming in, and we're not we're not organisms in isolation, right? We have our own home lives. We have our own, you know, not you know. <coughs> Growing up, we might have had you know specific experiences, traumas, whatever uh, that are create that create the personalities that then get hired onto the fire service. How do you, as a like a leader, uh, you know, con- how do I say ask this? How do you how do you create a level ground, right? Because I imagine it's pretty tough, uh, especially if you have folks that have these different personalities, different experiences, but then also, and we, we don't have to dive into a mental health conversation, but also then get ex- experiences on the job that aren't exactly the easiest to deal with. How, how do you manage that? So um, that's actually a really good question also. Um, I would say the way I have managed it, we will deal with the medicine part, which is like usually very, very like black and white. 
Um, once we start dealing with more of that, more, more, more of that, a like effective domain, that is now a very, very personalized approach, very, very personalized conversation based off of, based off of their like previous experiences, um, whoever they, Fine. oftentimes, oftentimes I am not always the single best resource to have them talk to. Um, they may feel much more comfortable talking to someone that has that military medic background just like them. That's fine. Fantastic. Here you go. Talk to this guy. Or maybe it's someone that graduated from a paramedic program right up the Lake Street. We have several of like them working for us. Talk to this guy. Um, we have a whole uh, – we actually have a fairly decent staffed um, CISM mental health stuff. That's your problem. Fantastic. Talk to these guys. Yeah. Um, that is though a actual very, 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 very individualized, very, very personalized conversation based off of whatever their underlying root, like cause issues are. I, I, I love that answer. The one the part I, I love especially is you understood your own limitations, right? Because right. uh, uh, that that's not the easiest thing to have. Um, let me ask you another question, but so you got Josh here, right? Obviously a very capable paramedic, young in the department. He's not bad. Uh, what do you say to someone like him who wants to come up the ranks? Like what, what are lessons that you've learned that like maybe he hasn't had yet? Like what do you talk, you know, in, in, in a form like this, what do you, what do you tell him? Well, that's a good one. Um, I usually say study hard, promote up, take every test, take like every opportunity that you have and just absolutely crush it. Um, I am not the smartest paramedic. I probably was like way back in the day, but I don't ride much anymore. So now I, I am a solid second medic probably. Yeah. Um, that being said though, right. I, I was never the, like the, the like highest scoring, like test taker. I was never the like 99 per like a sound person. The reason I have made it to where I am is because every single assignment I was ever given, be it working at the PSAP, some of these other liaison jobs, teaching, whatever, I would just do, I would just work very, very hard and just like knock it out to my absolute best. And evidently that, that here got me noticed. Um, but the only thing I would always, always Suggest take every opportunity that you have and just absolutely crush it. Um, we have a lot of very, very smart people working for us um, that never get the opportunity to, to I guess, promote up because of whatever reason. Um, with the way that the fire service operates, and this is going to be a very, like, generalized statement, for the most part, we are very much – relying upon personnel in these formal leadership roles. And if you're not in one of these formal roles, your actual voice is not as loud as it probably could be. Mm -hmm. So that's why I will always, always say, especially Josh, promote up. That's the only way to really get that voice heard at the levels that it really, really like should be. Um, unlike the like military, we, we don't have a lot of in like formal leadership roles that really have that voice at the upper like command levels. 
So that is why it is critically, critically important to have all of our smart, younger guys going through that promotional process. I think that's it, it's there, a shortcoming, but yeah, there's also well, there's an onus on them then to break those silos. Oh, there absolutely is. Right? I mean, so it's on them, and it's also on. I'll say me now. Yeah, I'm now in that like management role. Mm-hmm. Just because someone has bars on their shoulder doesn't mean that they understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody doesn't doesn't make them stupid. Yeah. Right. I need to listen to all my various SMEs, be it at the fire, be it at the firefighter level. The technician level, company officer level, whatever. Just because someone doesn't have a formal leadership role does mean that these guys don't have don't have something to offer, and they absolutely do. Yeah, Josh. Uh, so that actually, uh, not that it uh, contrib- uh, contributes completely to um, what to do to promote and get and to that advice to uh, move forward in your job and move upward in your job. But the chief brought up something um, where just because you have bars on your shoulder doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. And just because you don't have them, same thing. Um, for the leaders out there that are listening, um, there's, uh, what is it? It's upward leadership. Okay. So listen to your followers or your subordinates, even if they are a leader in their domain, but you are their leader. You can always learn something from those below you as well. Um, and sometimes it's just like having a very frank conversation. Sometimes it's a, a cordial conversation like, hey, look, I think we need to be going this direction because this this reason. You know, and I I had to do that. You know, I, I am a firefighter and I had to have a conversation with the officer because I didn't think certain things were being handled correctly. And I expressed, you know, like, hey, I think this is the direction we need to take and that's the direction we ended up taking in this realm. So don't be so turned off to hearing the suggestions of your followers and your subordinates, um, especially in uh, public service jobs and uh, your blue collar realm of jobs. You have people coming in that have a wealth of knowledge of things you have no idea about at the time. Uh, in the fire service, uh, it's, was much more common in older generations. It's still common today. Um, people having other trades, carpenters, woodworkers, uh, contractors, plumbers, steam fitters, all kinds of people that have prior um, trades that come into the fire service and, you know, or people that are coming in with leadership experience. You know, uh, a guy that I went through the academy with um, was a captain in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a wealth of knowledge to you know bring to the table um we have people uh not a couple classes behind me a 20 plus year uh first sergeant in the marine corps who came in you know he's got a ton of knowledge on how to grow people and develop teams and dynamics and all kinds of stuff i'm not just talking to the uh, military people guy in my class um he's a former lawyer Mm -hmm. you know so Look to your followers, look to your shift, your crew, your team for suggestions and how to improve things, even whether it's a detrimental situation or just overall. Have open ears to everyone. All right, I want to do an experiment now. But I don't think I've ever had someone, I don't think we've had this situation in the podcast yet where we have an officer and like a ground level person but from the same department. So 
because you're in the same department, you obviously have some biases because that's your experience, right? So that's, you know, it's natural to have, think that that's how, nah, that's not what I'm, trying, what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is you have your experiences in your department. So I want you to imagine the polar opposite of your department, right? Because it seems like you guys have a po- at least somewhat positive um, environment where you can, you are empowered to talk to your leadership. So think of the opposite and think about a paramedic or a battalion chief in that environment. What do you say to them? Uh, because what I will say is, uh, for my anecdotal conversations with folks, you know, across the state, you know, some folks uh, that operate across the nation, um, it seems to me that your department culture is a lot more positive than most. So, uh, uh, what do you say to those folks? How should you know? What advice do you give them? Yeah. Uh, so giving Ed advice on how they can improve their, like the leadership or improve the culture of their department. Honestly, it, from the conversations that I've had, how, how do you survive? Cause I think it's survival first, uh, because uh, it's some pretty toxic environments. I mean, it's survival first, if that's the only job that you can get, like, uh, like how, how do you lead upwards in a way when the, the culture itself is that bad or do you just, do you have to leave? I don't think necessarily have to leave. Um, I think that you always have to prioritize your own well-being, mm-hmm. own, own mental health. Um, I would say that though, especially in the like public safety world, private animals world, whatever. Um, a lot of the upper leadership it doesn't really stick around for very long. And when I say very long, I mean like generations worth of mm. time there, right? Um, your actual largest impact will always be on the people below you. That will be your actual legacy. will be those paramedics, the firefighters, you guys trained. And um, you may not see the fruits of your labor while you are working there, developing though that actual second line group of leaders, that second generation, third like generation of like leaders, that's how you change mm. that culture. And it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be easy. Um, I think that I uh, think that we just have to become a, a lot more comfortable with the with the concept of that of that delayed gratification and mm. the fact that we aren't going to very much see it overnight. Yeah. Um, because it's a huge ship. That's hard to stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a very large ship. Um, I think it's a little bit different in like the volunteer world because I think it's a lot easier to necessarily make those changes once mm. you get that core group of like people behind you. On, All like, it takes board. is a vote. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All it takes is a, a vote. Um, career side doesn't really have that option. Yeah, there's no popularity contest in the uh, in the career side. So speaking from you know like the uh, the I'm not gonna say the bottom, the grunt side, the grunt side. We'll go with that. The grunt side. Um, you have to just like the chief. You have to look at it for yourself first. Okay, do not sacrifice your health, your well being, your psyche, any of that for the progression of your job. Okay, um, I love where I work, I love the department I work for, I love the people I work with and work for. 
but if it ever became an issue between my health or my family's health, that's what's going to be picked first. Um, so first, you got to prioritize that. If that is safe, then what you do is you try and build yourself. You're, you can't, unfortunately, Chief uh, commented on this, if you don't have the creds in the public safety community, you usually will not get anywhere. So get the credentials, get the training, get the experience. You know, does that mean going outside your department? Sometimes, yeah. Go to these conferences, you know, if you can afford it. Um, you know, there's plenty of free online education. Um, look for grants. Look for, um, you know, all kinds of, there's so much stuff out there that people don't realize is out there. You know, when it comes to extra schooling, scholarships, there are so many scholarships that are afforded to public safety individuals that go untouched. So find them. Get that extra civilian leadership, um, whether it's a bachelor's degree, an associate's, just extra classes, extra experience. And then start trying to tackle these, you know, these bigger problems. You know, sometimes it does mean promoting and taking that position of the person that was the toxic person. And always remember where you came from. Don't forget when you were that person that was being um, put down, not allowed to progress, um, was being stifled. And don't be that leader. So then the people that come behind you have a positive experience. So when they take your position, hopefully, they have the same positive experience. They exude the same positive leadership back to the new subordinates. And then you move your way up. Is it easy? No. It's not going to be overnight, just like the chief said, delayed gratification. This is not going to be something you're going to change in a week, two weeks, a month, a year. It could take years to change this depending on your organization, size, the whole many, so many different factors. But remember, if, it, if you truly think it's worth it and your family is safe, you're safe, health, mental, all that, then put your nose to the grindstone and become the leader that your organization or your people need. Because, like, you know, you can be like, oh, I'm just going to leave this place. Well, guess what? That problem still persists. And then say you go to the neighboring jurisdiction, and all you hear is that that same issue is persisting over and over and over again. And if you're in a neighboring jurisdiction or you have some kind of tie to that department in some way, whether it's a mutual aid agreement or automatic aid, that's going to affect your operations. Mm. And now that is going to leach over into where you thought the green, the pasture was greener. So try and improve. Uh, it's going to sound a little military. Improve your own fighting position and then improve the organization outside of that. So, and take uh, care of yourself. Yep. Always mm. remember yourself. Like I, we had a major mental health episode that came out you know, a mm. month and a half ago right now. Yeah. Always remember to take care of yourself because – if, if you're broken down um, and you get to that leadership position, you may be no good yeah. to your people. Even if you have the best intentions, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of yourself. And people. you might make their mental health worse too, which yeah. is not good. It's all like a ball rolling down the hill. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. That's our job, right? Yeah. Our actual job as like command officers is to be level-headed when everything else is out there going to absolute shit. you yeah. got to keep the head clean. And something I have... Something I have always told told 
told every single brand new officer I've ever like worked with, interacted with, the very day you become promoted, your actual career is now secondary to all those like behind you, mm, yeah. right? Your actual job now is to make sure that the firefighters grunts behind you now have all of the all of the tools, knowledge, skills, abilities they need to now hopefully hopefully take over my actual job at like some point in the life future. Love that training your replacement. Have we you have guys, to. Yeah. Have you guys read the book uh, Leaders Eat Last? Uh, it was actually uh, it was not on the last promotional exam. It was on the one before that. Okay. So uh, Sam Galvano, really good. I mean, he's a really good friend of mine. He's the uh, he's an anesthesia guy. He gifted it to me, uh, and I have yet to read it. But it, that's kind of what you're alluding to. Uh, you know what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, I have read that one. Um, I read Front Burner, which which was about the uh, bombing of the uh, coal. Okay. Yeah. Um, in Sudan, not Sudan, Somalia. Sudan? It was, uh, no, it was in Qatar. Uh, yeah, Qatar. Oh. So. The and, USS Cole right before 9 11? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, why? Wow, Why did I think it was in Somalia? Jesus. Uh, I mean, it's just across the water. Oh, okay. yeah. It's not that far. So, like, Gulf of Aden. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that one actually had a lot of really good leadership lessons in it, even though it sounds as if it's a, a, as if it's a, a book all about terrorism, which it, it was Yemen, was. by the way. Sorry. Yemen, Yemen, yeah. yeah. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. I got the Gulf of. Yeah, it was like a little release. fishing boat or something that they loaded up, right? Yeah, it, was it was a, a little, little inflatable. Yeah, yeah. A little like garbage barge. Um, that actual CEO though has a ton of leadership lessons that he had learned prior, prior, prior to the coal, and also and also after the uh, actual bombing of it. Yeah. And he was very, very forthright with his leadership successes and also with his leadership failures. Yeah. He was it was a very good book. I'll have to add that. What what was it? What was the title? It's called Front Burner. Front burner. Okay. Uh, uh, leaders Eat Last. I have not read it. I do understand the concept and straight up the bottom line is like their their guiding principle or their their first thing is is that quite literally, eaters leaders oh my god. Leaders will eat last. Yeah. It comes from this uh, concept. Uh, I think it's a Marine officer that wrote the book, if I'm not mistaken. And basically, uh, when you guys, when your unit is maybe short on food, you always make sure that you guys eat first yeah. because they're the most important thing. Without your people, your mission will not be able to be achieved yeah. ever. So if you can't lead them, you can't develop them, what good are you as a unit? I, it almost it brings me back to your story about how you said you were a failed leader when you were taking more breaks and stuff like that. Now it's like the opposite, right? I imagine you would. You I always would, eat last. Yeah, it, yeah. It also drives some of my company officers nuts because they want me to eat earlier because I'm the chief and I'm this like anointed rank or whatever. I'm just a chief, like I'm nothing special. Yeah. My job is to is to make on sure everybody else before me is able to perform at their at their absolute best i so to this morning josh and i proctored a paramedic exam and where i parked uh the garage uh as i was walking towards the building that i was walking to the last two parking spots uh were for the president uh like the president's office and i, and I was like man you know what should have done it and I, no no well listen i would never i'm not trash talking to anybody i'm just saying man wouldn't it be interesting if those two, uh, if the president or whatever said those two spots go to 
XYZ uh, person. I don't, I don't know, faculty, staff person, graduates, something. I don't know. It just, it would be interesting uh, be, because I compared it to when we parked here. When I parked here, we have like top responder spots that are on the ramp. And those are the only people that are allowed to park on the ramp. And I mean, agree with it, disagree with it, whatever. I'm just more so talking about the concept yeah. of like the 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 prized, most precious cuts of whatever concept you're talking about goes to the folks on the ground. Yes. Um, uh, because I mean, I, I think that's how you you know make a good team. I mean, when it, it's uh, it it seemed, and I haven't really. Uh, I've had I've failed a lot more than I've succeeded in leadership uh, positions. Uh, what I'll say is uh, that seems to be the secret sauce. <laughs> Take care of your team; everything else kind of falls into place. It's not magic. Yeah, yeah. Watch out for your people. That's your main job, Chief. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, <laughs> dude. Seriously, this was fun. Dude, this has been awesome. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have you back for a QA episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. Any last comments? No, nah, man. This is great. I appreciate it. Cool. Hope you had fun. Josh, right. you want to finish us out? Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Chief, for coming out, uh, talking to us. Uh, for everyone else. Oh, wait. I-, I have to say one thing. Oh, well, okay. We have a mission for you. you got to find somebody else to bring on the podcast. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to drop any names in case I don't like them. But after we stop recording. We were uh, talking about prior to the show. All right. We can talk after we record. I mean, after <laughs> I stop hitting, uh, after I hit recording we stop recording josh sorry good okay so uh thanks chief for coming on to talk to alert medic one team about well just about a whole bunch of things about leadership uh for everyone else out there uh, make sure you like and follow on uh, social media instagram facebook uh, follow us on your favorite podcast app and have a good evening good morning good night whatever time you're listening to us be safe and enjoy You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.